The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Well, good morning, Springs Church. Welcome. Welcome to all of you in the name of Jesus Christ. It's so great to have everybody here in the room, and we're grateful for those of you tuning in online. Welcome to all of the visitors, the bright and smiling faces this morning. It's so Great to have you here, and we want to ask you if you're a visitor, go ahead and fill out a visitor card. We'd love a chance to connect with you that way and hopefully connect with you after service as well. And we just want you to know that this is a church being transformed into the image of Christ so that anyone can find the way to God. That's our mission here at the Springs. And one of the ways that we are transformed into the image of Christ is simply through community. And as it happens, we've got some opportunities for community coming up. One of those opportunities is this Wednesday at Welcome Table. Welcome Table is something we do regularly on Wednesday nights at the Springs, just up in the gym at 6.30. And we're going to have one this Wednesday, Welcome Table. And it's just a free meal. It's a great chance to get together, to share, to break bread, and to remind each other of the good news of Jesus Christ and encourage each other in our walks with Christ and with one another. So I want to invite you to welcome table this coming Wednesday here at 6.30. And I also want to invite you once again, all of you, to tonight's forum on God and science here at the Springs. It's going to be at 5.30 tonight right here in the worship center. And I'm very, very excited to get to uh, moderate a panel filled with some really, really wonderful people, sharp thinkers. Uh, We've got our very own Dr. Amanda Nichols, Dr. Jim Baird, Dr. Cole Fakes, and Benjamin Williams. And I'm going to get to ask them some of the questions that you have submitted over the last month or so uh, about the relationship between God, science, and the Christian faith. So I hope you'll join us tonight at 5.30. Child care is provided. Come on out. I think it's going to be a really, really wonderful discussion. And I'm sure the topic of Genesis is going to come up tonight, and that's kind of a nice circumstance because we're in Genesis this morning. We're probably going to be asking some different questions of Genesis tonight than we are this morning, but we're beginning a brand new sermon series today called Your Story, Scripture, and the Mission of God. So I want to ask you to turn over to Genesis chapter 1 We're in verses 26 through 31 together this morning. Then God said, Let us make humankind in our image, according to our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the wild animals of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. God said, see, 
I have given you every plant yielding seed that is upon the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the air and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw everything that he had made and indeed it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Let's pray. God in heaven, we give you praise and glory and honor. We ask for your peace to reign upon the earth all over this globe. Let your peace and your kingdom and your will be enacted. Jesus, we praise you and we give thanks for this word of yours. And Lord, I ask for the gift of preaching. We ask that your Holy Spirit would be present to us and would illuminate your truth from this text. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. My favorite Donald Miller book is called A Million Miles in a Thousand Years. It's the book he wrote after his best-selling memoir, Blue Like Jazz, when a couple of movie producers came up to Donald Miller and asked him to make a movie about his life, telling the story of that book. And A Million Miles in a Thousand Years is this wonderful story with multiple storylines and scenes that come through it. And what emerges in the book is this compelling portrait of what it means to live a meaningful life and a meaningful story. And I'll never forget on the first page in the author's note, he writes this. He says, if you watched a movie about a guy who wanted a Volvo and worked for years to get it, you wouldn't cry at the end when he drove off the lot testing the windshield wipers. Right, he says, you wouldn't tell your friends about this awesome movie that you just saw. You wouldn't probably remember it a week later. You'd probably want your money back, if anything. But he says, he says that nobody cries at the end of a movie about a guy who wants a Volvo, but, he writes, we spend years actually living those stories and expect our lives to feel meaningful. The truth is, if what we choose to do with our lives won't make a story meaningful, it won't make a life meaningful either. If I asked you to tell me your story, what would you say? How would you tell it? Where would you begin? Would you start where you are right now and work back or start at the beginning and go forwards or start with the most defining moment of your life and fill in the rest? And when you told this story, would it amount to more than a guy who works for years to buy a nice car? Or would there be a larger mission giving shape to your life, giving direction, meaning, and purpose? We're starting a new sermon series this morning called Your Story, Scripture, and the Mission of God. And the word your in the title, your story, functions in two ways. First of all, it's an address from us to God. When we come together on Sunday mornings, we're saying, God, we're here for your story. 
God, tell us your story. We want to meditate upon your story. We want to celebrate your story, God. But it also functions as an address from God to us. Because what we find when we come together to meditate upon and hear and tell and celebrate the story of God in Scripture is that God tells us, this is your story. We find that God's story is our story, and because it's our story, it's your story, and your story, and your story. The Bible is the story of God's mission and purpose in and for the world. It's the story of God's mission. But that's not how we always approach the Bible, is it? We don't always approach it from the vantage of this long, big narrative, this big, grand story of God's mission in the world. Right? Scott McKnight has a book about rethinking how you read the Bible. It's called The Blue Parakeet. And he talks about some of the shortcuts that we use when we come to Scripture sometimes. Right? One of the shortcuts we'll use is we'll just imagine that the Bible is simply a collection of laws. Right? It's just a law book. It's just a code of conduct, a rule book. Now, there are lots of laws in the Bible, and we shouldn't neglect them. But the Bible can't be reduced to just a rule book, just a law book. To do that is to distort what the Bible really is. Another shortcut we might use is we, we chop it up into little verses, little batches of blessings, right, that we can just kind of pick out of a candy jar to inspire us or make us feel good. Maybe embroider it on a pillow or rip it off on a daily calendar. There's lots of wonderful, inspiring blessings in the Bible. But again, that's smaller than what the Bible really is. We could talk about all kinds of shortcuts, about reading the Bible like it's a Rorschach test to just kind of find our inner feelings and thoughts inside, right? Or reading the Bible like it's a puzzle, and if we can just find the exact right system, we'll fit all the pieces together perfectly, and we'll master it. But all of this ignores that the Bible is a story, and it's a story to be lived, It's a story that we come before and all we can simply do is read and figure out how to live according to God's mission. We want to be invited into living the larger narrative that God is weaving through its pages and into our lives. And so Scott McKnight says, God did not give the Bible so we could master him or it. God gave the Bible so we could live it, so we could be mastered by it. The Bible is the story of God's mission for the world, and that story is our story. It's your story. So Springs, let's begin together here in March and extending over the next couple months the story of God's mission in Scripture together. Let's start at the beginning. Genesis chapter one. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth. The beginning of the story is God. God is the beginning. God is perfect and whole and complete in himself. 
And in the beginning of the story, God creates. Why does God create? This question surfaced when I was in middle school, in a middle school Bible class, being taught by Mary Wilcox, rest in peace, just a wonderful woman. She asked us, she said, why, why did God create the world? Why did God create us? And her son, my friend Brian, was in the class that day, and without missing a beat, he said, his cable was out. No, <laughs> no, Brian. Why does God create? God doesn't create out of a need. God's not bored. God doesn't create because he needs something. God creates from a place of love. All right? God is wholly perfect in himself, Father, Son, and Spirit. God needs nothing. God overflows with love and therefore creates the world. I think of Paul's speech to the Athenians in Acts chapter 17. I always come back to this. He says, the God who made the world and everything in it, he who is Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by human hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mortals life and breath and all things. This is the God who not only creates, but continually creates. We think of creation often as this one distant thing way in the past that happened once, but all things exist only by the permission of God. All things are held in existence by God at every moment. He's still creating. Creation is ongoing. At every moment, God is creating and sustaining us, giving life and breath and all things to mortals. And so God creates at the beginning of the story, at the beginning of the mission. And I wish we had time to spend in depth in all of Genesis chapter one, maybe for a sermon series down the road one day. But we've gotta move forward through God creating all of these things and speaking light into existence down to the crowning achievement of his creation in verse 26. Then God said, let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the wild animals of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. This is a fundamental moment in the story. This is where we enter the story. Humankind, right? This is where we enter the plot line. And we enter the story in an interesting way, don't we? Because this is the sixth day of creation. This is the day where God creates all the animals, right, according to Genesis, and so according to Genesis, in a sense, we're a part of this creaturely class of animals, and yet, there's something special about us. There's something unique. It says, we are made in the image of God, according to God's likeness. What does that mean? 
What does it mean to be made in the image of God? This is an important part of the story. And there are shelves and shelves and stacks and stacks of book-length treatments on this topic, what is the image of God? But I think one way into the conversation this morning is through that word, image. Right? And actually, the Greek translation of the Old Testament is called the Septuagint. In the Greek translation of the Old Testament, that word for image is akon. Akon. In other words, where we get our English word icon. Icon. What do we mean when we call something an icon? An image. Well, we say Elvis Presley is an icon of rock and roll. He's a rock and roll icon. What we mean by that is that an icon represents something larger than itself. An icon is an image that represents something bigger, something beyond itself. When you look at a picture of Elvis Presley, you're seeing not just Elvis Presley, you're seeing rock and roll. He's so foundational and integral to it. You see not just Elvis Presley, but you're seeing an iconic image of rock and roll itself. This idea, in a sense, goes all the way back to the ancient world. Because in the ancient world, when kings and emperors wanted to represent themselves around their territory, right, when they wanted to show people that, hey, even though I'm over here in the capital city, you're still under my jurisdiction, right? You're, you're living under my reign. They set up images. They set up statues. They set up icons, Right, So if you're living out here and you look to that icon, that statue, that image of the king, you know, oh, that's the reign that's going on in this area. I'm living under the reign and rule of that guy. That's a little bit of what's going on in Genesis chapter 1. Part of what it means to be made in the image of God is to be God's icon, to be an extension and representation of God's reign in the world. Being made in God's likeness, being made in God's image means that when the rest of creation, when other humans look at us made in the image of God, they see God's reign. They see God's rule. They're reminded that this is my Father's world. That's part of what it means to be made in the image of God. Because we're made in God's likeness, we're set up as his icons, we extend the rule of God into the world. We represent his loving rule and dominion in the world. And that's part of what he calls us to do, right? Looking back at verse 26, God said, let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness and let them have dominion. Let them have dominion. The kingdom and the power and the glory do not belong to us. They belong to God. Right? All authority on heaven and on earth is God's, is Jesus's. But in another sense, God's authority authorizes Right? God deputizes us. And so we, as God's icon, as God's image, 
are allowed to exercise his power in righteousness, are allowed to exercise his dominion, are allowed to remind the world of his loving reign and stewardship of creation. That's what Jesus tells us in the Sermon on the Mount. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Created in God's image, we have a special role to play in this story, right? In the story of God's mission, we represent God's image and reign to the world. But the story doesn't stop there. It keeps going. It's not static, right? Genesis is interested in what is, but it's as much interested in what will be, right? Genesis is always moving forward. It means origin. It means beginning, that word Genesis, but it's very much interested also in what will be and where the story is going because the mission and the story are going somewhere, and we see that in God's first commandment. What is God's first commandment to humankind? So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. This is the first time that God commands something of humanity. And what does he command? Be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful. Procreate. Right? This is God's sign that the story is moving forward. Because children are a sign of God's promise that the story is moving forward. Children are a promise that God has a future for us. That God's story is going somewhere. That's why Baby Blessing Sunday is so wonderful, right? It means that the story is moving forward. That God's mission is advancing in the world. That new little image bearers are coming into being and carrying forward the rule and reign of God in the world. Procreation is future-oriented, and that's really important in God's story, right? We're going to find out in the story and family of Abraham just how important that is. If the procreation doesn't keep happening, the story stops. But children are a sign that God has a mission and a purpose and a future for us. And that involves us all, regardless of if you're single, married, divorced, foster, adoptive, biological. All of us this morning have realized by taking these oaths with these families and these children, in a sense, we are all parents. Because in the church, biology doesn't make parents. In the church, baptism makes parents. Right? We have all committed to love and nurture and care for one another in this church together because procreation is a sign that God has a future for us. It's a sign that God's mission and story are moving forward. So, from the very beginning, God's story is going somewhere. And we're going to get to walk through this story together over the next couple months. And we see right from the start 
that we have a special role to play in moving that story forward. We, as God's icons, God's image bearers, are an important part of God's mission and story. And we see that at the very end of our passage, no less. In verse 31, it says, God saw everything that he had made, and indeed, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. There are these phrases throughout Genesis that repeat over and over again. Right? Read through Genesis 1 again today. You'll, you'll see those phrases that repeat. It's like a song, right? It's, it's lyrics, it's refrains going over and over again. God creates light and he saw the light and it was good. Right? He creates this and he saw that it was good. He creates vegetation and he saw that it was good. And then we get to the end and God sees all that he has made and now that he has made something in his image, God sees, and indeed, it was very good. It was very good. Human beings made in the image of God, all of us, are very good. We're very good creations of God. This is something in the story we have to remember at the start. Because we're going to get to the stuff that's messed up. We're going to get to the problems. We're going to be in Genesis 3 next week. But at this moment in the story, we have to remember the foundational truth that God looks at you and says, you are very good. You reflect his image. You are valuable. You are worth it. God says, you are very good. But there is an important truth that I think we sometimes miss in Genesis, that even though we are very good, even though we are made in the image of God, we do fall short of that image. We do fail to live into God's perfect likeness. And this is really in the words of the Bible itself, right? Looking at verses 26 and 27, God said, let us make humankind in our image. God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Genesis doesn't say that human beings are the image of God. We kind of use that language sometimes, but Genesis doesn't say we are the image of God. It says we're made in the image of God according to God's likeness. And that might seem like a small distinction, but here's why it's important, church. The Bible reserves the language of the image of God for one human. There's one human being who is the image of God. And that human being is who Paul says in Colossians 1.15 that he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, the prototype, the beginning and the end. We are made in the image of God because we're made according to the image of Jesus. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians, Christ, who is the image of God, and we may fall short of that image. We may fail to measure up, but Jesus doesn't fail. 
Jesus doesn't fall short. He is the image of God. He is the exact imprint of his very being. If you want to see the Father, look at the Son. Jesus shows us how to be truly human because he shows us how to be truly divine. Jesus lives that perfect image, that perfect icon of God extending God's righteous reign into the world and calling us to live according to his story. By showing us the perfect image of God, Jesus shows us the end of the story. Jesus shows us where we're headed to that vision of God, that perfect vision of Jesus Christ gathered around the throne of God, loving and worshiping him forever as his perfect likeness. Church, 1 John 3 says that, Beloved, we are God's children now. What we will be has not yet been revealed. What we do know is this. When he is revealed, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. To love and follow Jesus is to take the first step back into God's story for your life. I don't know what you're facing down this morning. I don't know what decisions are staring you in the face. I don't know what struggles are going on necessarily in your very life. But I can tell you from the bottom of my heart that the very first turn you need to make is back towards the image of Jesus Christ. To follow and live in his story, a story of God's redemption of all things. Let us stand and praise the perfect image of God in Jesus Christ together.